Well, hey, it's great to be with you guys. For those who don't know me, um, as Chris shared, my name is Drew Stedman, and I live in Waco, have been serving on staff with Antioch in a lot of different roles now for 20 years. Um, and so I work currently um, with our U.S. church plants and a lot of our international teams. If you don't know, Antioch is part of a network of about 50 churches in the United States, and we're in about 100 different locations internationally. And just such a joy. And I love getting to come to Austin for exactly what we just saw, like half the church is going overseas. I mean, you guys are amazing. Um, your, your faithfulness, the way that you contend for the gospel, and just looking around, so many of you I've known for a long time. Um, and it truly is a privilege to get to be here with you this morning sharing God's word. So thanks for loving Jesus and, and supporting his work. I um, also want to just, before we get started, just brag on the team you have here. I was just reflecting on the different staff, the different leaders, the elders, and as, uh, you know, Pastor J.D.'s on sabbatical, and we're praying for him. Um, Carl Gulley and I are coming down a lot this summer as well, so you'll get to see us more, but I, I was just thinking, man, as I am serving and supporting you during um, J.D.'s sabbatical, what an incredible team you have to steward and lead this church. So uh, please pray for them, um, but man, you guys got something great going on here. Well, this morning, I also get to bring my family with me, so my wife Bethany and daughter Grace are here on the front row. And then the rest of our family, our kids, uh, this picture right behind us, they're um, in kids ministry, Abby, Joy, Audrey, and Joshua, our other three kids. We came down last night and hung out in Austin yesterday, had a really fun time. Um, the one member of the family who did not make the trip is our dog Hayward, so I got a, I got a picture of him as well, a two-year-old golden doodle. He is a blast. He is being babysat by grandma right now, and they really love each other, and so that, that goes well. Um, although there have, you know, it is a point of prayer. There have been some incidents in the past. And, uh, you know, my dog, he's this, like, really nice dog, really sweet, really affectionate, a lot of fun, mostly chill, except for he's also a dog. So there are these moments where a squirrel, a cat, or a dog, if he sees one of those, he just, like, can't contain himself anymore. And so one day, Grandma's walking Hayward, and, you know, she's taking care of him, and they're walking along, and, like, I don't know if you've ever had a dog before, but there's this thing they do where they kind of tense up, and you know they're about to pounce. And you, if you're paying attention while you're walking them, you can see it coming. But if you're not, bad things happen. And so Grandma's walking Hayward with his leash, and he sees a squirrel. She, the dog tenses up. She doesn't realize it, and then he just bolts. But she's trying to be like a responsible pet babysitter, so she holds on to the leash, and she goes airborne, Superman style, flying through the air and face plants into the grass as Hayward chases after a dog. She was okay in the end, but it's a funny story. And, you know, since that time, we had to invest in, like, training collars and all these contraptions, and my dog hates these things, but sorry, buddy, this is what happens when you can't control yourself. And, and I was thinking about that. I was like, I wonder if that's how God sees us, right? You know, like, I, I look at my dog's eyes, and it's like, he's like, man, why do I have to have all these things? And I'm like, because you can't control yourself, that's why. And, you know, maybe, though, in the case of God, it's, it's reversed. We're not, he's not the one face-planning, you know. Um, maybe we are, right? But it's, it's our desire to be in control is what ultimately causes us to lose out on a lot of the things that our hearts really want. So it's a funny story, but I think it's actually pretty central to our passage this morning and maybe to our walk with God. How many of you know that when we feel like we have to be in control of our own lives, we actually miss out on the fullness of the life that God has for us? It's our desire to be our own leader is what blocks us from the richness that God invites us into. And this morning, we're going to read a lot of scripture. It's actually 30 verses. Um, Acts chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 12. And we're going to read about 30 verses of this story. And as I'm reading, what I want you to pay attention to in this story 
are three different groups of people that, that I think you're going to notice. You're going to see the disciples, you're going to see the crowds, and then you're going to see the religious rulers or the Pharisees and Sadducees. And I think at the core of this story is the question of control. So let me read this passage, and then we're going to break it down, maybe what we can learn from it this morning. I'm starting in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regular, regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico, and none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rode up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. Now when the high priest came and those who are with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came up to them and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went out and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the, high, and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee and the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him, and he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present taste, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they, the apostles, left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. Really cool story. And in this story, you know, if we can maybe take it and just look at the book of Acts, you know, kind of context for what Acts is teaching us. Acts is the story of the work of the Holy Spirit through the disciples to bring about the united people of God. That's a big mouthful. But what's happening here is the Holy Spirit is moving in the disciples of Jesus, and he's empowering them so they could be a part of the purposes of God. 
And maybe for our purposes today, something that I love that you see in the book of Acts is this message that what Jesus did, his disciples now do. Now, a little bit of Bible trivia here. The Apostle Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Now, in your Bible, they're separated by the Gospel of John. I don't know why, but it makes it confusing. But it's actually part of the same work. And in those days, you know, you had their, they didn't have, like, computers, so you wrote on these scrolls. And so most likely, Luke was about the length of one scroll. Acts was about the length of the other. That's why they're two separate books. But they're really meant to be read as one united whole, kind of like a volume one and a volume two. But here's the cool thing you find is that Luke goes out of his way to tell stories of the ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and then to tell similar stories in the book of Acts in the ministry of the disciples. And here's what he's saying is that the work of Jesus didn't stop when he rose from the dead, but it continues through us. And I think in our story today, and I th what is the, let me get the reference here. It is Luke chapter 8 verse 43 tells a story of this crowd of people and this woman who had this issue of bleeding for 12 years. She's sick. She sees Jesus and she goes up and grabs the, just the very edge of his coat and she's healed instantly. And did you know where our story picks up this morning that with the ministry of Peter, people walk by and his shadow brings about healing. Like what do we see? We just see the power of God at work in his people and I believe this is the invitation of the church that we're called to be. Name of our series, The Church in the Wild. You know, that's what it means to be the church in the wild. But there's three groups of people in this story that I mentioned. And let me tell you what I see in these different groups. We have the disciples. These were the people that were wholeheartedly obeying Jesus and walking in the power of God as part of his purposes. We have the crowds. These were spiritually hungry people. They held in esteem the things of God. They kept showing up to hear the word of God, but they were at a distance. They weren't quite yet ready to follow in the same way. And then you have the religious rulers and authorities who were actively opposing the work of Jesus. Now, here's what happens when you talk about three groups of people or whatever. I know what's going on in all of our minds. You're, you're doing this inner calculus, which one am I right now? You're like, I'm probably not a disciple. I don't think I'm opposing God. That means I'm a crowd, right? Like, that's what we do, and, and, and I get it. But this morning, I want to look at this maybe a bit differently, of not of three distinct types of people, but three tendencies within myself. Because I believe that all three of these things are at work inside of me. There is something in me that hungers to be a disciple. I, I see this story. I think of even our calling as the Antioch movement of encountering God, embracing life-on-life -life discipleship, living on mission with God. Like, that's what we see the disciples doing in this story. I, I, I read about them, and I want to be like them, and maybe you can relate. I would guess that's probably why you're here. In fact, I believe many of us have made decisions along the way to say that's the life we want to live. I'm also the crowd. You know, there's these times where it's like, I want God. I'm just, I'm not sure. You know, I, I know I've committed my heart to him, but I'm at a distance in some way. I'm not quite ready to go all in in the way he's invited me. But there's this third thing that goes on inside of my soul, that I want things my own way. I want to be in charge of my own life because I believe that's at the heart of what's going wrong with the religious rulers is they were unwilling to give up control. I don't think it's that they just hated the disciples. That's not the issue. The issue is they wanted to be in charge and the disciples and the work of Jesus was a threat to their control. And guys, if I'm gut level honest, that's inside of me. And I wonder if that's inside of all of us. This desire to be in control and to not yield ourselves to Jesus. So I want to take a few minutes and I want to break down these three groups and, 
and maybe see how, how does the gospel message free us from that desire to live our own way and embrace that wholehearted life of a disciple. Uh, well, we'll start with the disciples. The thing I see on their life that just is so encouraging to me is the spiritual power that God had placed on this, this group of people. And if you know the background, it's not that they were this you know, wealthy or well-trained or even well-educated group. They just were submitted and yielded to God. And so at the beginning of our passage, we read, like, people are bringing their sick from all over, those who are afflicted, and they're actively seeking out the people of God because that's where you find healing and that's where you find life. Like, isn't that who we're called to be? That those who are sick, who are far from God, who are afflicted, who have no answers, they recognize that even if we're, you know, a little weirded out, we know that the people of God have power that we don't have, so that's where we turn to in our time of, our time of need and our time of struggle. I've seen this before. Uh, I've ministered a lot in South Asia, and um, I, I have some friends there. They're like family to me. We've worked alongside each other for decades now. And I visited them and, and just see the power of God on their life. And in this particular place where we minister, there is a reputation of the Christian churches that if you have a need, go seek out the Christians because the Christian God has power. And they've planted, I mean, thousands of churches now. And the last time I heard is about 90% of them were started because of a miracle. So somebody in need sought out the believer, and then God brought the breakthrough, and that's how they came to faith. Almost all of it is non-Christian background. And I was there one time, and they were telling me this story of something that had just happened. They were um, going to this village. There had been a, a brand new Christian in this village, but they were being opposed by this family that were Hindu and, and were not really willing to receive this message. And so that goes on for a while, but then suddenly this family, I forget who it was, but a family member goes to the hospital. They got some injury, had to get a blood transfusion, and while they were there, it's this remote area with a lot of corruption, and they were given contaminated blood in their blood transfusion, maybe even animal blood. And so, like, there's no survival from that, right? They're declining really rapidly. It's a corrupt place to begin with, but what do they do? In a place of desperation, when, they're, when pride doesn't matter anymore because you just, whoever has an answer, I'm willing to turn to them, they have heard that the Christians have power. So they call the Christians to come in, these people they had been opposing, they come to the hotel room, they pray over this person, they're miraculously healed and delivered as a testimony, not only for that family, but for that whole village, they were able to then start a new house church in that village because of people seeing the power of God to bring the breakthrough. So even as the church is persecuted, it's where people go when they have a need. That's the kind of church I want to be. Even if we're persecuted, even if we're marginalized, even if people don't always like us, think we're a little weird, a place where there's true power and breakthrough and deliverance for those who need it the most, that's the inheritance of the people of God. Amen? You know, I hear a lot of talk, you know, just about the world we live in and concerns, you know, of the way things seem to be going in a lot of different directions. And let me tell you guys something. I am not worried about what I see in the world. I'm really not. We have 2,000 years of church history, way worse things that have occurred. Whatever, whatever issue that worries you, we've probably seen it, and the church of God has overcome it. I don't worry about what goes on in the world. I do worry about what goes on in the church. The issue to me is not the darkness in the world. The issue to me is the power in the church. Are we a church are we a church that has the power of God that are yielded, sold out to Jesus so that we can walk in this kind of power, this kind of deliverance for those who are in need? Because if so, you can put that kind of church in the midst of incredible darkness and that light is going to shine all the more bright. 
When the people of God are not compromised with the things of the world, we don't have to worry about what goes on in the world. We do have to worry about ourselves becoming compromised. Because what doesn't work is if we want to live for the world and hope we can walk in the power of God at the same time. Because this is the other thing I see about the disciples. They walked in incredible spiritual power, but they were incredibly submitted to the person of Jesus. In other words, that kind of breakthrough came at a great cost. And you actually see it here in this story. I mean, think about this. These are people that they've surrendered their lives to follow Jesus. They're preaching the gospel. They're doing what is right. And then they're unjustly persecuted and arrested and thrown in prison. And did you catch it in this story? It's not that just that they got thrown in prison, but they got thrown in prison where there was a high likelihood they were going to be executed. So they're sitting there in this prison cell. Then the only reason they're there is because Jesus, you know, like they followed him and now they're in jail, possibly going to die. And they're left with the question, am I still going to be here a week from now? Will I ever see my family again? Like all of these very real human emotions that you would feel in a moment like that. But what happens? And this is the part that blows me away. An angel of God shows up and delivers them from the prison cell. That's so cool. But what does the angel tell them to do? Go back to where you got arrested and keep preaching. That's the most unfair thing ever. I'd be like, I just got delivered, <laughs> you know? Peace. There's other cities that need Jesus. Like, why am I having to go back to where I got persecuted in the first place? But did you notice the way that they responded? Because this is what's blows me away. Like, I, I don't know what I would have done in that moment. Would I have had the guts? Would I have been yielded enough? Would I have trusted Jesus enough to say yes? But I'm going to up the ante a little bit, because notice the way that they responded. They didn't just say yes. Like, for me, maybe if I could muster up the courage to say yes, I would have gone home, gotten a nice rest, had a good meal, because it might be my last one, say goodbye to everybody that I love, and go back to the temple a few days later. But what do they do? at dawn. They got delivered the night before. At dawn, they go right back to that temple, keep preaching the gospel, and they get arrested again. I, wouldn't you be mad at God at that point? <laughs> You're like, why are you doing this to me? You ever felt that before? You obeyed God, and it didn't work out the way you thought it was going to? Like, that's where faith and trust really matter. It's one thing if you obey God and everything turns into something great. It's another thing if you obey God and you're in a prison cell for doing it. But that's what happens to them. They show right back up at that temple. They did not lose their boldness one little bit. And the only way you can act like that is if you have complete dependency and trust in the God that can deliver you. These were not people that were living for this world. These were people that had learned to lay down their lives and follow Christ. And so they preach the gospel. And even then, if you get to the end of the story, like it's a good ending, right? Like they weren't killed, except for that little part about them being beaten. Like our good story ends with our heroes being tortured. Like that's not a good story in my book. I don't, I don't know that I would have like left rejoicing saying, thank you, Lord, I got to be tortured. You know, but they were living in a different reality than the reality that I live in. They were living the life of someone who'd been completely surrendered to Christ. Friends, I'm not there yet, but that's where I want to be. And I'm guessing that's where you want to be as well. And in a little while, I'll, I'll share this a little bit more, but take hope at this point because the disciples didn't start there either. And if you go back and look at the Gospel of Luke, what you realize is this kind of boldness is not the raw material that Jesus worked with at the beginning. In fact, right up through the end of the Gospel of Luke, they were fearful 
Peter denied Jesus to his face. They were not these super brave, bold people that we read about at this point. It took time for them to get there. And here's the point I want to make. Jesus was patient with that process with them. So even though I don't know that there's any of us who could say we're living out of that reality quite yet, what I can say is if you keep showing up like the disciples kept showing up, Jesus is patient with you as he teaches you to be led by him. Amen? All right, let's contrast them, though, with the Pharisees or with the religious rulers because we see a very different way of living. And before we talk about the negative things, you know, sometimes like we can make them out to be these terrible villains, and they kind of are in the story. But actually, if you, you understand the history here, these were the good guys. These were the religious leaders. They were concerned about the future of the people of God. They, they were following God's law the best way that they knew how. They were respectable. I mean, these were not these like pagan, you know, terrible people. And in fact, the more I study it, the more I think like I could be a person like them. I'm actually pretty convinced that the religious leaders probably thought they were doing the right thing the entire time. And that scares me. It's one thing if you know you're doing something terrible. It's another thing if you're so trapped in your own control that you don't even realize it. And that's maybe who they were. What was their problem? Their problem at the end of the day is that they were used to being in charge and they didn't want to give that up. Like ultimately, why did they oppose Jesus? They didn't care about Jesus if he was living out in the countryside somewhere doing his own thing. They cared about Jesus because he was a threat to their power. They were used to being the leaders. They were used to being in charge. They were used to being in control. And as long as you didn't mess with that, they were cool with you. But when you started to mess with that, that's where we had problems. And remember, I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about myself because I'm that same way. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves... That is inside of each one of us as well, right? It's that desire to be in charge and that desire to be in control. I believe that, at the end of the day, is what marked the Pharisees. And, you know, it, I don't know that they started off this way. And who knows? This is pure speculation. But I'm guessing they started off as somebody just like us that said, I want to follow God. I want to do the things of God. It probably started off with people who their motives weren't all bad, and they go down this track for a while, but before they know it, what starts to happen is when these moments come along where God's trying to get their attention, they resist him and say, no, I want to do things my own way. And scripture talks about our hearts becoming hardened. The more that we refuse to let go of the reins of our life, or using my dog illustration from earlier, we refuse to be led and we insist on leading ourselves. We start creating a pattern of living out of our own power and our own control. And I love you know, where our story ends with Gamaliel, this kind of wise teacher, who I think is meant to instruct us in this passage. What does he say? At the end, you're going to find yourselves even opposing God. If... You only do the things out of your own desires and out of your own leadership. What happens in the end is you end up opposing God. And by the way, when you oppose God, you don't win. The very thing that you want, you end up losing. Your desire for control eludes you in the end because you are fighting against the living God himself rather than submitting yourself to the living God and letting him lead you. You know, in this story, I, I have a lot of sympathy for the religious leaders because if I look at this from their perspective, I kind of get it, right? 
Like you're trying to just do your best in leading Israel, then all of a sudden this like ragtag group of people show up with all this strange stuff they're talking about. I mean, I'd be skeptical too. I understand their skepticism. But when I read this story, and really when I read the broader gospel story, what strikes me is not the fact that they had doubts. In fact, if you read scripture carefully, especially in Luke and Acts, almost everybody had doubts. Having doubts isn't the problem. What's the problem is being obstinate. Jesus is very great, gracious with people who had doubts. Like, look at it. I mean, you know, you look at the Apostle Thomas, who was like, I won't, even fall, I, I won't even believe in you unless I see the nails in your hand. I mean, that's a pretty audacious th- thing to say to the living Lord, you know? But Jesus shows up and graciously leads him. And over and over again, with Nicodemus or all these other different people, he's very gracious with people if their hearts are genuinely open and hungry. The problem with the Pharisees is I don't even think they ever considered the claims of Jesus. And you see that in this story. I mean, think about it. They just arrested these guys. They're in jail, and then in the middle of the night, they're freed, and nobody knows how it happens. And Scripture tells us they were perplexed. Being perplexed is when you have this moment where what you thought, something radically different happened, you're like, man, what to do? But what do they do when they're perplexed? Do they go to God and say, God, are you trying to tell me something? Do they go to God and say, Lord, maybe, maybe we're missing it. Do they have the humility to ask and seek the Lord to say, God, is there something in this that you want us to see? I am convinced if they had done that, God would have revealed himself and they would not have been opposing the work of God. But that's not what they did. They instead, they were perplexed. They wondered about it for a second. But rather than even attempt to seek the Lord, they said, nope, we want to be in control. They went right back into doing what they were doing. That's the problem. The problem is when God tries to get our attention, we won't even take a moment to ask the question, Lord, have I drifted from you? We won't even have, take a moment to ask the question, could there be something inside of me that's unwilling to yield to you? Another word for that is humility. If we have that, and as I see the disciples, those are the ones who make it in the end. But it's the obstinate, the proud. Those are the ones who end up, in the words of our passage, resisting the living God. So how do you know? And I think you see an example of this in this story. Scripture tells us that the rulers were filled with jealousy. And here's what I found. There are certain emotions that are great indicators that are something is going on inside of myself. The emotion itself is not the bad thing. God has given you your emotions. They're a gift. But things that come up inside of us, anger, jealousy, envy, when these things start to happen, typically for me, that is a good, picture like you're driving in a car. That's like a strange noise or a check engine light in your car that's telling you something's not working the way that it's supposed to, right? So you're living your life and your friend gets a promotion at work and all of a sudden you find yourself jealous and you can't stop thinking about it. That feeling is normal, it's human. We all probably feel that way. That's not the problem. The problem is what do you do with it? Does that feeling push you back into the arms of Jesus? Or do you double down on it and let that turn into resentment? Towards that person, towards life, towards society, towards God, whatever. You get what I'm saying here? And I found, how do we avoid ending up like these religious authorities? We have to learn to pay attention to those things. When God's trying to get our attention so that we can keep submitting our heart to him. I was driving um, back from Glen Rose. Um, It was probably a couple weeks ago. It was like super late at night, you know, this small highway, and it's really pretty, and I'm kind of driving fast and just flying along, but, you know, if you drive in these Texas towns, 
um, at night, you kind of get to these parts where you have to slow down to go through the downtown, then you can speed up again on the other side of the small town. And so as I'm driving back, it's an hour and a half or an hour or so, and it's towards the end of my drive, I'm going through this small town, and I feel like I start to hear this weird noise coming out of my car. So I keep driving, and I roll down my windows, turn off all music, and then sure enough, there's this kind of strange, you know, sound coming. And I'm freaking out because I'm like, oh, man, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I, you know, what on earth am I going to do? It's the middle of the night. Like, if my car breaks down, I'm toast, you know. But I drive. I, like, white-knuckle it. I end up making it home. So the very next day, the first thing I do is I go straight to the auto mechanic to get, it was a water pump, to get it replaced. Because I know if you don't pay attention to the warning signs, you end up having a breakdown, right? Here's how I know this. My first car I owned was this really beautiful minivan with wood side paneling. <laughs> At the age of 16, I became a soccer mom. <laughs> I'm not joking. I, I'm the oldest of six kids. Um, everyone played sports. My mom used to have an Excel spreadsheet to keep track of where all the places people needed to be. So like the day I turned 16, I got my license, and I spent my life at that point picking up my brothers and sister and taking them to their various practices in my nice minivan. It's like me and all of you, you know, like all of you soccer moms and me just hanging out. It was a blast. But anyway, I, I was new to cars, and um, as I was driving my, my minivan for a while, the check engine light came on one time. And I just kind of ignored it, because like, at that point, I'm like, if it's a problem, I'll know it's a problem. And it worked for like months, you know, like my, my philosophy validated itself. It wasn't a problem. And that's the problem is it's not a problem until it becomes a problem. And, and so I'm driving home one day and there's a strange noise coming out of my engine. Only this time I didn't make it home. I'm actually driving down my street and this noise gets louder and louder. And about halfway down my street, it sounds like a jackhammer. Then there's a loud bang and all the noise stops, including the car. My engine blew up because I ran out of oil, because I didn't pay attention to the warning sign. You get the metaphor. God is gracious with us, but if we're not going to pay attention to the warning signs he gives us, at some point, he's going to let you have your own way. And I think one of the scariest things that happens to us is that God allows us to have our own way. Are we paying attention to the warning signs? And this can look different for each person. I found a lot of times my anger comes when I have a goal that's being blocked by someone or something else. So it makes me angry. Jealousy is because I see what goes on in somebody else and I want it for myself. You know, and for you it could be different. And you're probably going to feel those emotions. And, and please don't take this message and feel guilty every time those emotions come up. That's not what I'm trying to say today. What I am trying to say is when you feel those things, make that a check engine light time for yourself. Go to God. You know, maybe not in that moment. You may not have the time to, but the next day, go to a trusted friend. Go to your life group. Why am I feeling this? What's going on inside of myself? You know, I, I look at this story. It's like, why am I feeling jealousy that these people, the word of God is spreading and God's moving and all this rich stuff is happening? Why do I feel like I need to shut that down? Like, what if the Pharisee had asked that question? But here's the scary thing. Like, I've been there. You know, as a, as a pastor, sometimes when... God starts to move, but he's moving in somebody else's church. That's a great gut check time. Because I feel like God should only move where I'm moving, or at least he should move where I'm moving and not where they're moving and not move where I'm moving. You know, it's like, why would you do that, God? And as I study revival history, typically the people that resist the current revival is the group that experienced the last revival. Because they can't get over the fact that God might do something different that they weren't at the center of. 
So even though I look at them and want to say, you guys are crazy, when I look at them, I actually see myself if I'm not really careful. I don't want to resist God because of my own desire to live in control. So how do we do this? How do we avoid living in this way? And I think we find the answer to this in Peter's words. I want to read um, verse 29 through 31. It's his message to these religious rulers. He says this, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as Savior and Lord. First of all, Peter's intense, right? Can you imagine? We have to obey Jesus, who you killed, you know? I don't know that I got that kind of courage. Way to go, Peter. But you see the contrast. We're going to obey, but you resisted him to such a point that you killed him. But even now, God's bringing his mercy to you if you'll just pay attention and listen. Even to these religious leaders, you just see the hand of God reaching out over and over and over again. Turn to me. Don't do things your own way. Peter goes on. The God you killed has actually been exalted. Remember, you cannot oppose God. God always wins in the end. You know, he's not like my dog where he can pull you off your feet. Like, that's, God is not going to be moved. He's going to ultimately win and have the final word. You're opposing him, but it's not going to work. He's been exalted. That we follow him, and what does Peter say? As savior and as leader. Here's what I found. Most of us are very comfortable with Jesus being our savior, but we resist him being our leader. We want him to save us. We have our problems. We all have our list of problems. Whatever you woke up with today, and you're like, God, I need a breakthrough. We need a savior. That's not what I'm worried about today. My question is, are you willing to have a leader? Because having Jesus as your leader is the recognition that he is now in control and not you. And I find that gets a little harder in our modern culture. And I think this is actually a particularly prophetic message for us in this day and age, because what I, what I see happening in the world around me and even in the church is I see there's actually two gospel messages that are at work. And I'm going to label these the gospel of self and the gospel of Jesus. Here's what the gospel of self teaches us, is that for you to live the fullness of life, you need to be free to live the way that you want. You need to be in control of your own life. And that's your ticket to finding the happiness and the longing that you've always had. You may not have heard it phrased that way, but you probably have heard people say, live true to yourself. That's kind of what we're saying, right? And if you just like take that for a second, what you start to realize is that gospel of self permeates our culture. We are being taught constantly that our ticket to happiness is the freedom to do what we want. And whatever out there is going to infringe on your ability to do what you want, that is a threat to your ability to live a full life. This is the gospel message of self that's so prevalent in our world. And that could look different for a lot of different ways. That could be whether that's our lifestyle, whether that's our finances, whatever, whatever the case may be, it's different for each person. But the message underneath it all is that you need freedom to be your own leader so that you can live your own rich life. And do you see how opposite that is to the lifestyle of the disciples? Because the gospel of Jesus teaches us something like so radically different. What does Peter say here? If you keep going in, in this verse, in his message to the Pharisees, he goes on to say that God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel, 
forgiveness of sin, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. Repentance means to turn. That's what it says, to change your mind and to turn. Repentance is not you living in the freedom of your own control, but it's you turning away from that and surrendering yourself to Christ. Forgiveness is the healing that comes with the repentance. But then there's something you may not have caught. Peter says, we are witnesses of these things. And in the Greek language, this word witness is the word martyr. It's a play on words here. We're martyrs of these things. You see, here's the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is that at the core, your freedom is not you living according to your own control. In fact, your salvation is you are being saved from your own control. Because here's what the gospel of Jesus tells us is that we aren't very good leaders of ourselves. We think that if we can just be free to live our own life, that we're going to find happiness. But what the gospel of Jesus tells us is that if you live your own life, you're going to end up in something else. At the end of the day, when I look inside of myself, I do see the beauty and the goodness of God. You're made in his image. You're loved. There's such a richness to who you are. But there's something else inside of you, and it's this reality of sin. And sometimes when we talk about sin, we talk about the guilt that comes with sin, and that's right. But today there's another side of sin that we also have to grapple with. There's this death and decay that comes with sin. Because within me, there is the goodness of God and the fullness of this life that I want to live, but there's also this thing that's war, waging war against me. There's this thing inside of me that's resisting God, that's blocking me. I need a Savior, and I need a Savior from myself if I want to find the life and freedom that God has for me. And this is what the disciples learned. It took them a long time, but this is what they learned in the end, is that actually I find life by dying. And that is the counterculture, radical message of the gospel, is that your life is not found when you live according to your own desires. Your life is found when you die to yourself. Because when you die to yourself, you are resurrected into a new life that's in Christ. And when I look at the disciples, I don't see this group of people that were like these, you know, uh, what's the right word for it? Like they're walking around all the time just feeling bad about life. They're alive. They're joy-filled. They're happy. Even in the face of persecution and trial, they overcome it. They have joy. They have hope. They have peace. They have power. Because the way to life is learning to die with Christ. And then you're resurrected into a new life with him. And I believe this is the battleground in our, in our world, and I think the battleground in our churches is are we willing to live out of the gospel of Jesus or are we going to live out of the gospel of self? Because the gospel of self tells us what we need is more control. The gospel of Jesus tells us what we need is to surrender, and you can't have it both ways. And friends, that's my invitation this morning. As we enter in and transition into this time of ministry, you know, here's what I see. I think all of us in this story, who are we? We're the crowds, aren't we? We're hungry. You wouldn't be here today if you weren't hungry. Way to go. You showed up. I think most of us in this room, we've maybe had a moment where we said, all right, Jesus, I'm, I'm willing to follow you in some way. Some of us, maybe that's been years, decades of saying yes to Jesus. Some of you, maybe you're here and you're checking it out for the first time. But we're here because there's something in us that wants God. And yet, at the same time, there's also this other thing that's not quite yet willing to give up control. And, and I wish I could tell you that, like, I figured this out. You know, I have fully surrendered. I'm not there yet either. So very level playing field this morning for all of us. We're all in that crowd. 
And as we respond to this message this morning, there's a couple different groups I want to I wanna speak to. First of all, some of you here, you've never made that decision to say yes to Jesus. You realize I've been in the back of the crowd, but I've never lifted my hand. I've never started that journey. And maybe you're here this morning and I'm, I'm describing the gospel of Jesus versus the gospel of self. And you realize that you've been living according to the gospel of self and it's not leading you into the life that it's promised. And maybe as I'm speaking, I believe right now even the spirit of God is stirring your heart, wakening something inside of you, this different way of living that involves letting go of yourself and following Christ. And this morning, um, in a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity if you're ready to make that decision to say yes to him. Hopefully I've explained what that means. It means letting go of control and learning to follow Jesus. You know, I look at the world around us and I think this gospel message, I find it interesting and sad actually. We live in a society of people that it is the most prosperous, healthiest, powerful society that's probably ever existed. But when I walk around, people feel miserable, don't they? We're discouraged. All of our options just make us more anxious. And I gotta wonder, in a world that teaches us to live from the gospel of self, if the symptoms of that not working surround us, that the gospel of self does not deliver on its promise to lead us into life. And maybe you're here today because you realize that. Maybe you bought into that gospel of self and it's left you empty. Today's your day to turn and find a different, radical, radically different place of life that comes with dying to yourself and experiencing the life of Christ. So here in a minute, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and you can just reflect on that for a few moments while I talk to my other groups of people this morning. Um, but I, as we transition here in a moment, I wanna lead you in a prayer if you're ready to follow Christ. But for everyone else, here's my, my, my second charge this morning is I think when I hear a message like this, sometimes like the gap between giving up control and where I am today seems crazy. Like if we're really gut level honest with ourselves. And I don't wanna leave us this morning overwhelmed. I don't think this is an issue of having one great ministry time and then you're cured. I think instead, this is a process. Because when I look at the disciples, what I see is a consistent, almost daily saying yes to Jesus. And where they started to where they ended up encourages me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you're like, man, I could never live like that. Just go read about Peter in the Gospel of Luke, and you can realize, like, if God can, can do this in him, he can do this in you. And so this morning, if maybe you're overwhelmed by a message like this, I'm not asking you to say every aspect, you know, navel-gazing, figure out all your problems. That's not what I'm asking for. Instead, what I'm asking for is, can you let the Holy Spirit speak to you in this moment? What's an area you need to say yes today? Let him speak over you. Can you take a step? Can you take a step of letting go of yourself, following him? And just like he did with his earthly disciples, he's going to do with you. If your heart is humble and willing to say yes to him, he's going to lead you. Last week in McMurray uh, preached this great sermon, and, and he talked about how I, I'm not always willing to say yes, but I can at least be willing to be willing. And that's my invitation for you this morning. Can you be willing to be willing? Can you say, God, I, I'm not there yet, but will you search me? Will you help me? Sometimes the greatest prayer is, Lord, have mercy and help me. And if our hearts are yielded, I see that throughout this story, the mercy of God pursuing people, even the people that opposed him, he continued to show his mercy. And that same mercy is being extended to you today. So we say yes to him. Amen. Let's all stand. Our ministry teams can come down to the front. And, you know, lastly, our last group of people this morning, if you have any need, 
You know, even as we read the story of the book of Acts, the power of God, salvation, breakthrough, deliverance, and healing, please don't leave church today. If you have a need, you need prayer, come on down. And, and for some of you, um, you might need just some of what I shared today. You need somebody to pray with you, and we're, we're available for that. For others, maybe it's better just in your own chair to ask the Lord to speak to you. And lastly, for those of you who want to follow Jesus, I want to just pray this prayer and invite you to pray with me, um, just yielding your heart to him. So if you need Jesus today, if you're one of those, that you're in the crowd and you're saying, I need to lift my hand and follow him, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, just repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I've lived my own way and it's not working. Just say those words out loud. And so, Lord, today I repent and I turn and I give you control of my life. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. And here today, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that, make sure you tell the person you came with, come on down to the front. And for the rest of us, let me just pray over our time as we seek to surrender our heart to Jesus. Lord, I just stand here, God, with your people. And Lord, as your, as your disciples, Lord, we're, we're like sheep. We turn, we do our own thing. We resist you, God. And I just thank you for your mercy. I thank you for the way that you pursue us. I thank you for the way that we kind of seize control, yet you just gently come in and you lead us back into you, Lord. And I pray this morning that we would be a people who live the life of a disciple, who learn to trust who learn to give up and yield our own control and instead to be led by you, Holy Spirit, into the fullness of life that you have for us. And I bless each person in this room this morning, all across this room, whatever little yeses need to be said today. Holy Spirit, come and breathe on us. Teach us what it means to be led by you. In Jesus' name.